You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. It is today, Tuesday, uh, 6 past 4, and you're listening to Zakaria and my co uh, presenter, Salman Kamar, is with me today. Uh, so we will be with you up till 6 p.m. And for those who are familiar to our show, the Drive Time Show, we usually cover two topics and, and one topic per each hour. So the fir- for the first hour, we will be uh, discussing about education, especially the divide in it, um, the divide of uh, the education of North and South. Um, and for the second hour, we have... Uh, another topic lined up for you, uh, which is um, the disability. Um, and um, we're going to be with you till six o'clock. So if anyone is willing to get involved, if you have any questions, you can always call us at 020-8687-7878. And if you want to tweet us or get involved, or uh, go to the website and listen to our older um, um, uh, recordings and shows, then you can also visit the website voiceofislam.co.uk and um, you can tweet us at voiceofislamuk. Um, and we are also active in all the, um, uh, the social media platforms, so you can always find us online when you Google us. Um, brother, how are you? Uh, Alhamdulillah, very well. Alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm looking forward to be with you today. Thank you. Um, uh, that's it's it's a pleasure being uh, this. I think it's uh, it's our first time that we uh, you know we're presenting together. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And uh, I mean today's topics, um, they're uh, both of them are a bit sad topics, but we'll try to make it as informative as possible so people understand why these topics um, they're crucial. They're important for us to discuss and what things we can do to improve it, of course. Um, so, what's your thought on uh, on on the on the on the, the topic uh, that we will be discussing in the first hour, the education, and why do you think that there is a you know a gap between north and 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 south of UK? Well, you see, um, as you said, we are going to be discussing education. Um, especially in regards to the gap there is between north and the south now to be I mean to, to really get started from the very basics I, I guess is that the fact that education is a fundamental human right right there is yep. there's no denying that mm-hmm. um, especially in this modern age when the world heavily relies on technology and all the under information in every field we are using these days Mm. not having access to quality education can put a person at a certain disadvantage and obviously i mean we know from from my experiences from from our social cycles that these things then really go on and that disadvantage sort of 
increases um, the more we go on within our lives hmm. and uh, eventually the, the gap we have be, uh, with someone that probably had access to to to, to better education mm. is just massive at the end of the day, mm. right? Yeah. So obviously, I mean, every person is entitled to mm. quality education right from the very early years of their life, without any discrimination. Be it, be I mean, regional, r- racial, financial, or from a s- social perspective. Yeah. I mean, Islam emphasizes on 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 uh, gaining knowledge, attaining knowledge, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and the the first verse which was revealed or the, the first uh, revelation that was revealed to the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him was that uh, you know it, it is mandatory for you to not just men but for men and women it's 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 something which is um very crucial for you to learn right to read mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the first verse of the holy quran uh, that was uh, revealed to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah upon him was Iqra, Iqra bismi rabbika mm-hmm. khalak, which mm-hmm. means read in the name of thy Lord who created everything Yeah. so you know w- which means that in order to improve in order to know uh, of the society of, of uh, and, and have a peaceful society or you know to become a better person it's, it's important for you to read um, you know, it, it could be the Holy Quran, the, the previous uh, scriptures of God Almighty, and it could be anything, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. the emphasis on on uh, on education, and emphasis on reading, and emphasis in uh, in gaining knowledge, has been the first thing that God Almighty has taught the Holy Prophet, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, you're right. I mean, there is no way without education, especially in in this day and age. Where all of our um, see knowledge we are getting is being consumed through reading, mostly um, I'd say books, obviously, but then there's also um, social media, social platforms. Um, through through um, there, uh, there is um, Twitter, there is Instagram, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we, we are <coughs> going to be reading all those posts, yeah. and then there comes this the the next step, which is very essential, obviously, is understanding yep. what's what's being said. And all of that, uh, at the end of the day, is related to our education. Indeed, indeed. How how do we perceive a a certain stance, uh, and all of that really um, depends on how have we how we have been educated. Hmm. Now, Zakaria, let let's come to the I mean the actual debate of today, which is the education divide. Yep. What do you have to say about that? Well. You know, if you look at the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it affirms the education as every person's birthright, ensuring everyone has access to it. And it has been a challenge across the globe. Um, we've seen that, uh, you know, it's been a challenge to educate every single child and it's a right for every everyone to be educated, right? Mm-hmm. Even in countries that have reached the universal enrollments, uh, education available to children can vary uh, greatly, mm-hmm. um, either because of the location they are or the socio-economic status, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not too long ago, students across the UK, as as we were discussing today about specifically about the UK, they've received their GCSEs 
um, and A-level results. And with these results, the education gap between the North and the South has become increasingly evident. A substantial uh, difference is uh, seen in the percentage of the top grades across the country, uh, with the proportion of students achieving top grades being much higher in the South compared with the rest of England. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and if you look at the comparison between London and other places, for example, in London, 32.6% uh, were marked at grades 7. Uh, Which is the A, basically. So A, basically. Yeah. Uh, or above, mm -hmm. compared to just 22.4%, which is, you know, 10% less yeah. than, the, uh, mm -hmm. than, than London in the North East and Yorkshire, uh, Yorkshire and the uh, Humber um, area. And this gap is widening compared with 2020 and 2019. Mm -hmm. So just just in in two two years, it's increased uh, by uh, you know uh, many percentages, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And the education inequality isn't just something which is a regional thing; it is observed in school system too. Mm -hmm. And private schooling not only provides quality education but offers unparalleled opportunities. Uh, it provides extra. It's 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 an extra. Uh, curriculars and resources, uh, you know, something uh, public schools, especially in poorer communities, are deprived of. I mean, uh, you see that uh, you know this 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 uh, education divide. Um, you know, it calls for a serious pondering over why why this stark divide exists and 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 what is it that you know stake uh, what is it at stake if it continues to to be uh, in, to increase or uh, to widen absolutely actually. i mean look um we we, we obviously uh, the the idea obviously is to always give the islamic perspective to 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 every um topic or discussion we have uh, on our radio station hmm. now um obviously you see within islam the emphasis being laid on education is is imperative um we we have the narration of the prophet uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him he uh, where he said that um you should try to gain knowledge even if you have to walk um to china right now yeah. obviously china back in the days very uh far away very difficult to reach right but that is um the emphasis that has been laid upon gaining knowledge. At the same yeah. time, the Prophet ﷺ at another occasion said that um, gaining knowledge is an obligation for every Muslim man and woman, right? So yeah. there is no differentiation whatsoever. Rather, it is uh, imperative for everyone yep. to gain knowledge. Why? Because if we gain knowledge today, then we will be able to um, educate our next generations. Hmm. And the idea is obviously to make each and every one within society be a a invaluable asset hmm. to the society someone who who can take part in the society someone who can give back to society yeah. right now the gap as as we said in the beginning as well that the gap that is being created here is going to show even more hmm. maybe 10 years down the line or 15 years i mean let's just take the example of two students that are 15 years old today right and and they have access to different kinds of education what will happen to them when they're both 20 
when they're both 25, mm. when they're both 30, when they're both uh, at an age where they obviously have their own families and they've, they have children to um, look after. What um, approach to education do they have, right? And how do they pass that on? All of that will matter on, on what we give them today. So it is, it is very, very essential. Yep. that that education is obviously passed on and I believe um, we have now our first guest caller yep. with us which um, is uh, Madeline Holt who is an education uh, entrepreneur uh, founder of Meet the Parents and co-founder of Rescue Our Schools Madeline, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the Drive Time Show Thank you so much Thank you for taking out your time for us today um, Really to... Um, as you know, uh, we are discussing the education divide, especially in regards to the UK, um, where the division between North and South has just grown over the years. Now, comparing state versus private education, how much of a difference does the type of schooling have um, on a child's career? Well, the answer to that is um, substantial. So there was a big piece of research done in 2014 by the um, Institute for Fiscal Studies which suggested that private school students earned about 7% more than their equivalent uh, in terms of social and economic background who went to um, state schools. And there's been quite a few other pieces of research since then um, that have pretty much um, confirmed this general conclusion. Uh, and as to why that is, um, various arguments have been put forward, one of which could be the networks that... Um, students at, ch at private school are able to build up so the kind of old boys network where you know other people have gone to the same school who are a bit older might give them a leg up possibly it's the people doing the interviewing on panels for um key jobs have been in to private education themselves and are naturally more inclined to take on those who've got a similar background and if you look at the um established professions if you like these are also dominated by people from private education. So there was a study by the Sutton Trust and Social Mobility Commission in 2019, and that concluded that in politics, the judiciary and business, the top jobs were five times more likely to go to the privately educated. And you only have to look at the current cabinet. It's 59% privately educated when only 7% of the school population are in private schools. Right, absolutely. Now, the, um, obviously, you you just mentioned um, people in authority having come from private schools and obviously the cabinet as well. I remember uh, there was a discussion in this regard that our leaders today, they don't understand the problems of the grassroots because they come from private education. Um, what's your take on that? Well, I'm bound to agree with that. I and mean, I don't think it's hard and fast. You know, I don't think you, you should necessarily write somebody off just because they've been privately educated. And, you know, I, I know people have been privately educated and, and they certainly, um, you know, are able to empathise with other people. But, but I think broadly speaking, I would say that if we're going to put people into these educational silos, um, be they private schools or, or even grammar schools, which are selective, uh, just like private schools, but free, then I think it's harder to mm. empathise. Um, I think that's just kind of common sense. I'm not saying you can't, but I think it's more difficult. Mm. And and uh, the, the gap uh, uh, between, uh, uh, in regards to the resource and funding, how big is the gap? Uh, how big of a gap is there in the availability of resources and funding between uh, the public and the private schools? It's massive and it's got, got 
greater in the last decade because we have seen a fall in funding to state education since 2010. So currently, if you go to a private school, you will have three times as much money spent on you as a student mm -hmm. than if you're going to a state school, which, you know, obviously is one reason why one imagines that private school students, you know, are, are kind of getting ahead in certain professions because they're just having so much more money spent on them. Hmm. I mean, I mean, for the private schools as well, right? I mean, they, the students themselves, they can afford it, uh, whereas the other ones, they cannot afford it. So it's, it, the gap always will remain between the rich and the poor, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the private schools do talk a lot about bursaries and scholarships, but actually um, I'm involved in something called the Private Education Policy Forum, which is the first think tank of its kind to look at the effect of private education on society. And one of our pieces of research concluded that actually there uh, are not that many parents in the category of sort of scrimping and saving to send their children to private education. Generally speaking, um, most private school families are quite well off um, so you know the argument that private schools are actually giving a leg up to people with very little money doesn't really stand up because they did the bursaries um, that are offered are actually they're often for example for anybody earning something like less than 120,000 a year which is a, is a lot of money mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know it's not like if you're earning less than 15,000 which arguably would make a bit of a difference hmm. absolutely now obviously uh, the, we are talking about uh, affordability a very recent, um, not recent, but yeah, quite recent issue that we are facing now is the expenses of living that are increasing. Do you think we're expecting the education divide to worsen because of that as well? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I think that probably it won't make much difference, um, or, or as you say, it will worsen it, because I don't think the cost of living uh, crisis will really affect um, the families going to private education, as I said just now, and our, our, our research suggests they're going to they're going to have enough money to survive it. Um, so I think you might see some private schools putting their fees up because they're having to spend more on energy. But I think probably they're still going to have the same kind of level of support. Um, so and also, of course, if this government goes through with the kind of tax cuts it's talking about, that is going to actually be beneficial to the top end. So, you know, they might find they've got even more money. <laughs> All right. And how will the education inequality impact the nation's future? Should we be concerned? How, what, what's the future? It's sort of, I mean, it, 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 there's lots of research suggesting that um, inequality generally has a negative effect on society, educational equality. For example, um, if you look at the county of Kent, where there, there is selection across the board, so you have to sit the Kent test, the 11 plus, to get to a grammar school, and everyone else goes to basically a secondary modern school. Um, mm -hmm. Then if you, look at, if you look at what's happening there, there was a really interesting study that suggested that that um, was triggering lower social mobility and lower productivity. Um, so there's quite a lot of evidence. There's o the, OECD, the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, has also looked at this, um, and it's concluded that um, inequality generally can drag down growth and cause lack of investment with families at the, with low skills. So it I would say it definitely has an impact. Should we be concerned? Well, that's a really interesting question because... 
I don't know, I'm just not convinced that people, how, how bothered people are across the board about inequality in this country. Mm. Um, I think that's a really moot point. Uh, I think it's an issue perhaps in other European countries, but um, I'm just not sure. It'd be interesting to hear what your listeners think. <laughs> yes, that, that is why we are reaching out to our listeners as well, and uh, we'll have some of their comments towards the end of the hour. Um, lastly, uh, one thing I would like to know, I mean, from from where I see it, I don't think they, it can be completely equal and uh, um, sort of just opportunities for everyone. But do you have, I mean, some some um, sort of suggestions? How can we ensure the similar opportunities for students of all back backgrounds are provided in in this country? Well, I think it's partly about funding. So, for example, if uh, the proposal from the opposition parties to tax private schools went through, that would deliver more money for the government uh, because private schools wouldn't be able to claim charitable status or business tax relief. So that would make a difference. Um, it wouldn't mean that some of the more established private schools would be threatened, I don't think. So you'd have to look at some other options. But So first of all, funding would make a difference. Secondly, I think it's probably fair to say that there are certain educational approaches that are more successful than others in terms of helping all students, whatever their backgrounds. So, for example, I also make films about schools, and I've made a film about an amazing comprehensive school in Doncaster mm -hmm. called, called XP. Now, that is not an especially uh, prosperous area, and there's lots of families there who didn't have a very good experience of education themselves, but the school is doing amazing things, and the students across the board are not just getting incredible results, but they are... Uh, getting a really engaging education and they're doing that by uh, first of all there's no setting so there's no putting kids into so-called ability groups so it's all totally mixed ability mm -hmm. there's no selection to get in and the education is um, across subjects not divided into subjects and it's linked to the community so it's made relevant to the students so there's a few things they're doing there which I think are really worth looking at but I can't help thinking that it's going to be down to more than just education to build that divide because there was a report out recently that showed that despite all these government initiatives over the last 20 years, they're not just from this government and the coalition, but also under Tony Blair, uh, that uh, there'd been absolutely no improvement in narrowing the attainment gap between uh, more disadvantaged and disadvantaged students. So more advantaged and more disadvantaged students. So, you know, you've got to sit there and think, well... You know, all these different things have been tried and none of them have really made a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think there's probably a whole group of people who think, actually, education can only do so much. And one of the key issues is economic inequality, which has worsened in that time. So unless, you know, families who are really struggling at the moment financially get more support, get better housing, uh, all the things that we know make it easier for their students, for their children to learn after school, then I think it's going to be very difficult for us. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we can just pray for the best and, and hopefully, you know, pray that, you know, it uh, improves and and everyone can get the the, the education that they deserve as, uh, you know, Islam teaches us as well, that, you know, everyone yeah. deserves the, uh, the right to, for education and also everyone is, it's it's a compulsory thing for everyone to get educated. But if you don't have the opportunity, then unfortunately they can't. So you can just pray. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we need lifelong learning. So if you don't do well at school, you have other opportunities throughout your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, what are the other options? So for a start, I would say um, having more grammar schools is not the solution. Um, this, you know, Liz Truss has talked about expanding grammar schools, and there's such strong evidence that grammar schools favor uh, middle-class families who can tutor, you know, forward private tutors to get their kids through the 11-plus test. Um, so, in particular, white working-class families uh, are very poorly served by a grammar school system, and one grammar is reckoned to affect about 24 comprehensive, so it means that most schools in your area are going to be downgraded mm-hmm. just to create, you know, have many grammars. So that's certainly not the solution, I don't think. Um, I just think we need a national conversation about it. And, mm. and above all, as I was saying, I think we've got to ask ourselves as a country, do we really want a more equal society? Mm. Um, and then also, we're under, under the last Labour regime, pre-Keir Starmer, you might remember there was a lot of discussion from Jeremy Corbyn about something called the National Education Service. And the idea of that was it's like the uh, National Health Service and it was um, a whole network of opportunities that you could um, tap into through, for example, a kind of voucher system mm-hmm. throughout your life. So you could get um, retraining, you could you know, le- learn something in totally different. And I think that it would be a brilliant thing, but obviously it costs money. So yeah. it's about you know, the kind of economic decisions we're prepared to take, the kind of tax decisions we're prepared to take, because I think that would be so amazing, because at the moment under the way that we organise GCSE exams and the grades, the way the grades are organised, every year a third of students um, are deemed as failures. Mm. That's just the way the system works, the way the algorithm works. A third of kids will fail English and math GCSE. Mm. And then it's very difficult, as you know, to get, get any kind of job, not even necessarily working in your local Sainsbury's. So until we make the education system broader to look at other capabilities so you like practical you know skills um or being really empathetic and compassionate not just really narrow exams i think you know we won't we won't change anything we need a a much much broader way of assessing students so that we see all their different talents Hmm. certainly certainly thank you very much uh, madeline for your time and, and answering our questions hopefully we'll have you again uh, oh, I love that. Jane. My pleasure. Thank Best you. of luck. Bye. Bye. So this was uh, Madeline Holt, uh, educational entrepreneur, uh, founder of Meet the Parents, co-founder of Rescue Our Schools. Uh, lovely to speak to her. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there is certainly a, a huge gap and there needs to... Uh, you know, we need to do something now, otherwise this gap will increase uh, like, we, you know, we discussed yeah. it just for, it, it, it's it's a, it's got a gap of 10% and it's increasing in just uh, in two years now, uh, from 2019 to 2022 it's increased a lot well, there is a reason for this gap, isn't it? Uh, what, what What is the reason uh, of of this gap now obviously some of the reasons we've heard um, from from our guest caller Madeline um, and some of them we've put together for our uh, listeners now obviously there, there, there is the research 
by the Education Policy Institute show, that shows that persistently disadvantaged people are a year behind in comparison to their non-disadvantaged peers hmm. um, by the time they finish primary school, and over um, and they're sort of over two years behind mm-hmm. by the end of secondary school. Um, there's also a significant chance that these students may not pursue college employment or training of any sort whatsoever. Hmm. Some of the reasons um, behind this delay that we are mentioning is, uh, for example, um, that there was is COVID, hmm. um, regional differences in the proportion of top GCSE grades have become more prominent in England since COVID. Yep. Um, school closures during the pandemic have disproportionately uh, impacted students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Also, during the COVID pand- uh, pandemic, 15% of teachers from deprived schools reported that more than a third of people uh, did not have electronic access to schoolwork. It is a major concern that the pandemic may have increased the um, educational gap as uh, the disadvantaged uh, pupil were less likely to access resources and attend classes. And parts of North England spent longer stretches under strict COVID restrictions, disrupting study routines for these kids. So obviously, with COVID, as everything else was impacted, our lives were impacted, so did the um, school system within Mm. our country, um, from regional differences to to others, obviously. Mm. Um, There is also the fact that there is um, general people that are from a low-income background, now, yeah. 33% of people who receive free school meals achieve five or more A-stars to C's at GCSEs compared with 61% of those uh, who do not receive free school meals. Hmm. Family income also influences the access to laptops, internet, or a sort of, I mean, reasonable study space, especially hmm. since children spent much of their time in the past couple of years under lockdown. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to do a lot of things at home as well, isn't it? So if you don't have proper internet, proper uh, laptop or computer, then, you know, the stu- and, and most of the studies or the studies that is taught at schools, it involves the internet as well. So if people, pupils don't have it, if the kids, they don't have all the facilities, of course, even, even if they get the right education at school, they, they cannot, you know, learn it at home. So that's also... Of course, you see, at the end of the day, I mean, um, we've all had sort of different kinds of upbringings within our our households, right? Um, Within our friend circle, for instance, um, whilst we were still at school and college, um, some of the parents were more strict towards studies because they just understood um, the importance of that. And they would also try and provide the kind of... um, atmosphere you need at home yep. to be able to study others cared less some seemed like didn't care at all right yep. whether this kid studied or not and all of that is basically the education gap there has been created over the past god knows how many how many years, yeah. how many, years how many generations actually yep. right so again that shows us um now over here when when, when we speak about um uh, students that come from families that are better off yeah. they obviously have a completely different setup at home yeah. they have different kind of worries right um, they have different kind of needs 
so all of that is is being arranged for them so that they perform better so again as as, as we have been saying a, a few times during our, our session today uh, our show today that that gap is growing yeah whether we like it or not and there has to be very um stark changes so there has yeah. to be um immediate changes to policies to get that under control and potentially decrease that gap definitely definitely we have our second guest for this uh, our professor kalwant bhopal uh who is a professor of education and social justice director of center for research in race and education with this small intro i would like to welcome professor kalwant to our show assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome to the drive time show voice of islam good afternoon thank you very much for having me good afternoon thank you very much for uh connecting to us uh for this show um as you know we are um discussing about the educational divide educational gap between the north and the south and uh, the education inequality uh, is an issue across the uk uh, but especially for the students from disadvantaged backgrounds um but does it impact the bame community uh disproportionately and if it does how so Yeah that's a really good question because there's a huge amount of research evidence which shows that it does affect um minority communities in the UK. Mm-hmm. So there's a stark difference in terms of educational achievement and outcomes for different minority ethnic groups. So if you break down the category BME or BAME I don't like those categories myself you do see differences within and between those categories. So for example, if you have working class communities such as such as for example Pakistani and Bangladeshi communities living in the, the poorest borough in London for instance Tower Hamlets their educational experiences are very very negative compared to, to for example Indian middle class communities and furthermore black communities are also disproportionately affected so we have this divide throughout the and inequalities actually throughout those communities and what happens is it starts during schooling and it continues on to mm-hmm. higher education so if you are from a black or minority ethnic background especially if you are black you are less likely to leave university with a 2-1 or a first class honors degree you are more likely to imp- to be unemployed 6 months after you graduate compared to white and other groups and over your lifetime you are less likely to earn as much as other groups. So there so, so what what I'm trying to say here is that these inequalities they start from primary school, they go on to secondary school and they continue on then mm. into higher education. And they have significant impacts in terms of social mobility, access to the labor market and indeed future life chances. Mhm. Mhm. Absolutely. Now, um, Professor, um, you, you you did mention in, in regards to um, education and how they go through primary school and um, higher education. Now, does does this education uh, divide also influences um, their the 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 students' choices in in higher education and and, and their career? Yes, I think it does because what my research has actually found is that students. who are from middle class backgrounds and again this is the, this is the differences within and between that I've just spoken about they tend to have access to more what we call cultural capital that is 
more knowledge about the types of universities they should go for. So, for example, students who attend Russell Group universities compared to post-1992 universities earn more throughout their lifetime, for example. And they have access to internships. They have access to networks where individuals can advise them about the, the types of jobs that they should take on. And many individuals from working class and poorer communities, and particularly students of colour, do not have access to these networks. So they do not have access to, to this extra knowledge, which ensures that they are imbued, if you like, with all of these advantages where they can enter the labour market and therefore get a good job. So in some sense, what I'm arguing is who you know is more important than what you know. And mm -hmm. that is demarcated by social class and indeed ethnicity. Mm -hmm. the, the, the race uh, equality charter, tell us about it, please. And, and how is it providing support to the pupils? That's a really good question. So um, my research was used to develop the Race Equality Charter. And the Race Equality Charter mark is an award that universities can apply for. So they can apply for the award where they can demonstrate that they are addressing racial disparities within their universities, be it student experiences or the number of professors that they have from minority backgrounds. And each university, if they demonstrate that they are doing this, they are awarded a bronze, a silver or a gold award and at the moment the only because it is in in its infancy the only award that's been uh, available is the bronze award but what's particularly interesting and this is very um a critical way of looking at it, is which is the way that i look at it because i'm a critical race theorist and i argue that universities will only invest in the race equality charter if it benefits them more than the groups to which it is aimed so, for example, universities want to sell themselves as fair, as socially just and as inclusive. So they therefore invest in the race equality charter mark. Whereas in the day-to-day -day workings of the universities, black and minority ethnic students still, still tell us that they experience racism. These universities still have a huge awarding gap between black and minority ethnic students and white students. And very few of those universities have professors of colour in senior decision-making roles. Hmm. So on the one hand, it's a good step forward because it is addressing and it makes universities address these issues of racial disparities. But on the other hand, what I'm arguing is it cannot be a tick box exercise so that university can, universities can say, okay, we've ticked that box, box, we've addressed race, let's move on. Hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Most certainly, and that is obviously something that can help um, do some good I, I I guess if 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 used properly, um, how would you say can the BAME attainment gap be closed? Do you think we need to address this, um, at the root cause? I mean the um inclusion and equality at primary education. Absolutely, and I think that's a really good question because I think in some sense when students come to us at universities, it's almost too late because those inequalities, those racial inequalities, have already been entrenched. And if we look at the data and the statistics about primary schools and secondary schools, we see that students from particular racial groups are more likely to be excluded. They're more likely to suffer punishments. They're more likely to, to be put in the lower streams because of racial stereotypes. So, and I think you're absolutely right. We have to step back and look at what's going on in primary schools and then look at what's going on in secondary schools. And it's only then 
can we address those racial that racism actually institutional mm. and structural and individual racism that students experience by the time they get to us at universities hmm it's it's a shame isn't it it's a uh, it's been so many years and we still have this racism i mean it started with of course slavery and then and we still have the racism in the community where different ethnicities live together and we can just pray and and wish that this racism actually goes away and everyone can and can uh, consider each other as as brothers and sisters unfortunately uh we can just pray uh, that you know everyone starts loving each other as as a human being not of what what ethnicity that they belong to or what color or what they are from uh Thank you um Professor Kalwant for for your time and and answering our questions and, and and giving your time to us. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Thank you. So this was Professor Kalwant Bobal Educational Inequality uh, a professor of education and, and and social injustice director of Center for Research in Race and Education. Um uh, Brother Salman you were uh, addressing some of the 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 issues that we had or the reasons behind the delay uh the, the reasons behind the gap uh, that we have uh, in the society and i believe that you uh, you know mentioned about covid uh, also you mentioned about the low income is uh, one of the issues mm-hmm. why why there is a a, a huge gap uh what else uh, are the reasons for this for no. the gap yeah um so we so we did mention covid the low income background um there's also the fact that there is just less support for for certain people mm-hmm. um within our country now uh statistics show that only 9% of students in the northeast uh, receive four or more offline pieces of work per day in spring and summer 2020 compared to a national average of 20%. Mhm. The northern regions also saw slightly lower levels of teacher reported sort of parental engagement if you want to put it that way mm. and resources at home. Now, meanwhile, students in London and the southeast of England were reported to have spent most time on schoolwork and received the most online teaching. Again, we see that there is a gap and there is only 9% of students in the northeast are receiving um these these offline pieces of work whereas the national average stands at 20% mm. so again difference is massive and That's there is there's also the fact that there is a lack of funding mm. um absence of necessary funds for schools means that people from deprived areas may experience schooling that is not well resourced and with less uh, less experienced teachers a report in 2018 highlighted that a child on free school meals uh, living in hackney east london is three times more likely to go to university than a child on a free school me- meal from hartlepool mm. so again the difference between the south of england and the northern areas just mm. just just me shows i mean the 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 difference is it's not just um double but actually three times more likely to go to university than a child from hartley wow. that's Now, a huge uh, a huge gap i mean and it's it's something uh, 
it's it's funny that uh, I've seen many countries, right? And the best education that the country would give is usually in the capital city, um, and and usually outside of the capital cities, they get lesser of the uh, you know the quality of education, and and including the UK, which is one of the richest countries on earth, where mm-hmm. we still have this this gap. Uh, which is uh, problematic. Um, Islam, as we we always include the teachings of Islam as well, pays a special attention to the rights of the weak and the vulnerable in the society. Mm-hmm. So this includes, of course, those people who do not have enough means um, to educate their their, their children. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, so, so. be upon him, also, you know, uh, has, has said something very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he said that if you love the poor and bring them near you, God will bring you near Him on the day of resurrection. Mm. Right. That that also d- reminds me of of um, the time of battles during the time of the Prophet sallam, that mm. they they would obviously take captives whenever they, they, yeah. the the Muslims won. And one of the main ways for those captives to, to get back to freedom yep. was to teach the Muslim youth, right? So if you were a captive that was educated, you didn't have to pay any any, any ransom. You didn't have to stay captive forever. Yep. It was very simple. You teach some of the Muslim youth or some of the people that that were living there um, at at that time yep. and that will bring your freedom so I mean this is how important it was uh, in the eyes of the Prophet Sallallahu and obviously in, in the eyes of God Almighty yep. right um, there is a verse in the Holy Quran where, where it says that um, surely there are signs w- within the creation of the heavens and the earth for people that, that really want to ponder about these things yep. But again, we have to give everyone the basics, whatever is essential for them to, I mean, we we have to find those milestones for them and really get them going in order for them to be able to improve on that, isn't it? Mm, Indeed, indeed. You know, it reminds me of another uh, incident or or, uh, I think the the word for it is called uh, muqata'at, which was... um, Correct me if I'm wrong. The the the, uh, the way that slaves at that time, right? Because it was a norm. It was a custom, you know, to have slaves. Of course, mm-hmm. the poor slaves, mm-hmm. for example. But the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, always emphasized on freeing slaves. Mm-hmm. And and he he used to free slaves himself. He used to pay others to free the slaves that others used to have. And mm-hmm. he used to encourage the companions to free slaves and he used to say that the more slaves the the more slaves you free the, the, the there is a, a, a huge chance for you to enter jannah or enter the heaven right exactly. so he exactly. always emphasized on on the freedom of of slaves yeah. uh and one of the things that you mentioned as well and I remember is um that the way f- slaves could free themselves was to educate themselves yeah. learn a, a sort of skill yeah. so that you know because they've been captive for a long time they don't know how to integrate in the society Absolutely. and and once they have been you know freed they have to take care of themselves right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they had to learn some sort of skill so that they can you know 
uh, provide for themselves and, and maybe uh, for the future family as well, right? So this is also something that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings a lot. Absolutely. I mean, uh, this, th- this is obviously a, a very um, detailed discussion. But well, one point I, I could like to make here is, you see, the West is very proud of what they've done for, for, for slaves, right? But how it should have been done and how, I mean, the, the right way to do this was actually the way the Prophet Muhammad did it. Because he didn't just want to free the slaves and make them a burden for society. Yeah. So instead he made sure that they learn something, they have a certain skill, or they are educated enough so that they can become an asset to society Indeed. instead of becoming a burden. Exactly. And I, that mean, is I, mean, I mean, it wouldn't be a burden on the society, mm. but let's say it will be a burden on themselves if they don't know how to... You know how to uh, provide for themselves. Exactly. How, to, how exactly. to integrate in the society so that they can earn. Yeah. And I mean, look. Uh, similarly, as as we are seeing today within this country, that if you're not educated enough, if you can't, uh, if you cannot get into the right kind of jobs. Yeah. Right. If you are maybe relying on social welfare. Yeah. Right. That essentially burdens us us as a country. Whereas, if we have the right sort of opportunities for everyone mm-hmm. there will be more people giving back to society and yep. less sort of okay um, yes yep taking from it if, exactly if yeah. you know so I there, mean, right? there will be a part of giving to the society exactly, in, in, exactly. In, in, so, in, so that, that is obviously where equal education comes mm, in and it's definitely imperative. definitely now the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community has paid keen attention towards the education of the young members of the community um and he stated that neglecting the educational needs for children amounts to destroying a nation. For children of today, it will become the nation of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the, the second caliph of the Ahmadi community has always emphasized in the promised Messiah and, 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 and prophets of God, the, especially the second caliph mentioned that a nation cannot be formed uh, without the reformation of the youth exactly, right exactly. and the reformation of the youth that happens through education to mm. providing them all the necessities or opportunities to educate themselves of course absolutely according to the reports by the educational Profi- uh, policy institute the persistent gap that exists between pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds and their peers are evident in the early years. Continue throughout schooling and it's estimated that by the end of secondary school, pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds are approximately 19 months behind their peers. Uh, Reflecting on this year's A-level result, almost 58% private fee-paying students achieved either an A plus or an A compared with 35% of those attending academics, uh, academies and 30.7% of those in state comprehensives. I mean, these gaps eventually uh, trickle into their lives ahead uh, and the young people from dis- disadvantaged backgrounds are less likely to pursue uh, a post-compulsory education or uh, are actually unable to attain the grades to to do so, and um, I mean uh, the uh, the things that needs to be done is that at one point 
when you look at London, it was the home to some of the worst schools, but has experienced a dramatic, you know, turn a uh, turnaround in the quality of its schools. And I think every qual every every, you know, was I, I was I was just you know thinking every capital has their the best. They, they focus on the capital of the country, and London is the capital of UK, of course. And uh, of course, the 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 quality of the schools have you know is is much better in in London and other places and 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 uh, due to the positive effects of of immigration, uh, mm. but largely due to the collective focus on raising standards from the early years onwards, leading to gradual improvements uh, over the time. I mean, uh, f funding is also uh, that we've discussed this as well is yeah. is uh, something which is important. Recognizing first of all the yeah. issue, and then uh, not just recognizing and discussing, but also you know doing something on it as well. Because if you don't do anything to improve it, then of course we won't see any um, you know improvements. All children are born intelligent, given the right tools, opportunities and support from the early years can make or break their future. Um, it is unfortunate that the system designed to cater to their intellectual needs may fail them at crucial stages, which is why it is the utmost importance to address the issue that we have discussed today. The fourth caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community has said that Islam attempts to create an attitude whereby the governments and the wealthy are constantly reminded that it is in their own ultimate interest to establish an equitable economic system. They are also constantly exhorted to be on the lookout for the rights of others. The weak and the poor should not be denied their fundamental economic rights such as freedom to choose one's profession, equal access to opportunities and the basic requirements of life. The lack of this very special attitude has already caused much misery, pain and disorder in the history of human struggle for survival. Um, we can just pray for the best We can, and, and, and I... Uh, and and do as much as we can and and uh, request the world leaders and the leaders of UK to you know look at this and 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 change the situation that we are in of course um i mean we're at the end of this this hour mm. and uh we will be concluding the topic and in the next hour we will be discussing about the disability uh which is at more risk for the cost of living and here is the news you are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace be upon you and welcome back to the Drive Time Show. Um, we are 8 past 5 at the moment and we, as, as promised to you, we will be discussing uh, about disability and, and the risk uh, that has uh, on this uh, and because of the cost of living so um 
those who want to get involved and uh, you, if you have any questions, then you can always ask us at the number 020-8687-7878. And you can also visit the website voiceofislam.co.uk. So the Holy Quran mentions in chapter 49 verse 14 that O mankind we have created you from a male and a female and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one another verily the most honorable among you in the sight of Allah is he who is the most righteous among you surely Allah is all-knowing all-aware so the 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 closest the nearest is the one who is righteous who loves each other and 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 uh, loves everyone for the sake of God Almighty the Holy Quran teaches the Muslims that regardless of any differences all people are equal and so should be treated as such in the recent months there has been an increase in the cost of living which has resulted in a lot of uncertainty as well as fear about the months to come and it is increasing day by day and we don't see any improvements we don't see this increasing of the cost going down but what will happen to those people who have a fixed monthly income such as those with a with a disability the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed uh, may Allah be his helper states in his commentary of the Holy Quran and he has given this commentary uh, the topic of the commentary is the grand um, exegesis he states that among the characteristics of the Holy Quran is that it did not neglect any aspect of human nature nor did it issue a command which would be difficult for a human being to follow rather it came with an ease that enables every human being whether uh, whatever his nature and temperament to act upon its commandments just as God Almighty has created in this material world an enormous variety of objects such that it is impossible for any human being whatever his nature and temperament to say that God Almighty did not create anything according to my circumstances so obviously um, Zakaria and as we are talking about disabilities in general and uh, well that people with disabilities may be at a bigger risk from the cost um, of living let's have a look at some of the disability facts and stats if you want to call it that way mm -hmm. now obviously Islam being a comprehensive religion does not neglect to cater for the needs of any section of society especially if they require special consideration as such as parents, neighbors, travelers, orphans, and the sick, um, to name just a few. Um, Hazrat uh, Julaibib, who may Allah be pleased with him, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet وسلم, is another vivid example of inclusion. So in addition to being poor, Julaibib, may Allah be pleased with him, had an unpleasant physical appearance and nobody wished to let their daughter marry him mm. now upon the prophet's request a noble family gave him their daughter in marriage later on when Julebib was martyred uh, in a battle uh, 
the Prophet put his hand on his knee and said, This one is of me and I am of him. Um, so that is how the Prophet would, would make sure that everyone is included within society. Yep. And he obviously, the the message that he gave across is that your physical appearance does not matter because everyone has value and everyone is invaluable towards society if we look at them the right way. Yeah. I mean, uh, I believe uh, Julaibib, uh, his helper, was also a, a black man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember an incident that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings upon him, he was concerned about every single person, yeah. right? As he was, uh, he he his vi- physical appearance was different than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- one time uh, he was standing, and the Holy Prophet came behind him and he grabbed him, so he yeah. hugged him, yeah. right? And he just wanted to. And he was like doing this, right? Yeah. Doing like, who, who's this guy right yeah. behind me? Who's holding me? So he was trying to uh, get rid of the hold, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when he realized that it was the Holy Prophet, peace mm. and blessings Allah be upon him, then yeah. he stopped, you know, fighting, right? Yeah. And yeah. then he felt like um, he said uh, he just became very calm and he enjoyed the moment of yeah. f- f- the Holy Prophet's hugging. And yeah. he mentioned about. Uh, his nikah or his wedding that yeah. you know have you found someone and yeah. did you uh, w- uh, did you find someone or uh, what what's the situation and the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah upon him himself uh, you know made sure that you know he got married to yeah. someone and 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 you, like you just mentioned it's he got married to a a noble uh companion um a noble daughter of a companion yeah. and, uh, and 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 like you said he considered him one of his the holy prophet considered him one of his his own mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and every single person in the society in his community right he considered them as as equal as their loved ones absolutely now to talk more um about this topic of disabilities and the disadvantage in regards to cost of living we have with us our first guest caller, uh, who is um, Sarifa Patel, um, from Commission on Social Security. Um, Sarifa, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, um, I just wanted to talk about um, how the disability affects people and especially the living crisis mm-hmm. um, um, the thing about um, the living crisis at the moment um, and what's happening at grassroots because I do a lot of grassroots work I'm the commissioner for um, social security benefits and what we found out is although funding for the DP help DPOs would help to give disabled people um, 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 you know um, a voice and more influence around the cost of living crisis as as much much more wider than that and the current solutions to this um, um, to resolve this the cost of livings are inadequate and it's like a sticking plaster mm-hmm. what we need is a solution that matches the scale of the problem um, advocacy so people with English as second language on disabled people's access needs are met we need adequate funding for all DPOs to take this forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and then um, what we also wanted to say is that around the years of austerity since this government's come to place, anyway, with my grassroots work, I found out that um, since we've been having um, the Conservative government, I'm afraid, um, we've had a lot of cutbacks on benefits um, and 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 um, the models of governing where those of us who are most affected by their policies aren't valued or heard in changing them. Mm-hmm. Disabled people have been um, uh, um, uh, left in crisis for many, many years more detrimentally, with this government, 30% of households with a disabled person live in poverty at the moment. Hmm. Disabled people and carers experience additional costing um, um, and more likely to spend it on the heating, so will be particularly affected by this increase in energy costs. It's either heat or are they going to eat? You know, that's the choices hmm. they're going to have to make. Disabled people's average additional cost has been calculated as £583 a month, and it's very hard to get additional costing need met. Disabled people in work are more likely to be low paid, um, earned an average 14% less per hour than their non-disabled people, mm-hmm. and more likely, because of energy levels and everything, to work part-time. Hmm. So, you know, these are really serious issues. Now, I work with the Commissioner around Social Security and have been working with them since 2019 for a decent Social Security benefit for all. We believe that those of us who experience the current Social Security scheme are key in developing a new system that will work for everybody. The Commission produced a plan for decent Social Security system in January 2022. Adequate um, decent income for all to make sure how everyone has enough to live on. Mm-hmm. An additional cost benefit for disabled people with assessment by us that is co-produced by us. A, a social security system which has um, which leaves us with dignity and respect and um, uh, with um, core values of valuing us. You know, we have a saying in disabled people movement, nothing about us without us. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um, to say, to address the inequality that certain groups face due to institutional racism and disability discrimination. And these are disabled people with hidden conditions as mental health, and physical health and autism that's not, um, you know, it's not visible. Hmm. Yeah. So these are really, really big issues um, that we need to address. Yeah. Um, and I think what we wanted to say is that um, the only way we can make sure that this happens is to recognize that there are failures in this current system, to recognize there's not enough funding for social care, not enough affordable, source, uh, suitable housing for all. Hmm. There are consequences of government not prioritizing investments in things that would enable disabled people to have a better quality of life. Yeah. When the government does develop policies which are intended to help disabled, but they tend to focus on changing the individual and see us as the problem rather than the economic or social factors which get into the way of disabled people's life chances. Hmm. For example, employment. 
um, what try to motivate or cohes disabled people rather than um, um, you know uh, removing the disabling barriers in workplace and employer discrimination. Hmm. The commission has worked hard. Um, um, uh, to include people and put accessibility at the heart of our work. Um, and that's what we wanted to say. But there is so much inequality that happens to disabled people, um, women who are carers and men who are carers, um, especially with hidden disabilities and mental health needs. And I just think society needs to be more inclusive. I think mm. society has got a long, long way to go. Very much what you said about the prophet, mm. that how well he did to be inclusive, yeah. right? Yeah. But we as a society, we're not doing that. Mm. I see that in my grassroots work every day. I have mothers coming to me crying their eyes bows out because their child has faced discrimination mm. or their child hasn't got the same life chances as any other normal child just because of disability. Yeah. And I think that is so morally wrong and yeah. we need to change. That's Thank true. You. That's true. I mean, it, it, it needs to... Uh, kids and, and the, the society, they should, you know, support. And from, from, the, from the house as well, you, kids, they need to be taught as well that when you meet or see someone disabled be respectful because mm. you know they are all creation of god almighty mm. right mm. no one uh, is higher in status right yeah. uh, in the society it doesn't matter what, what what position they are how much they earn or yeah. uh, you know what they recognized of mm. i mean every and single not, person. and not just that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have liked you to value that person just the way you value yourself but that doesn't happen exactly i'm so sorry to say in our community um and i think sometimes it's horrible to say that we are the most prejudiced around disabled people and we need to move away from that prejudice exactly. we need to change mm. we need to change and we need to be more inclusive and more supportive to parents of disabled children. I don't want to see any more of my mothers coming to me crying their eyes out because their child is not being accepted hmm. by the community. Hmm. I want to see that them coming back and saying, sister, we've done it. They're accepting my child. They're hmm. treating me with the respect and dignity that I'd like my child to be treated with. Hmm. Hmm. You know, that would make my day. And that's what our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would have liked. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. So one of the questions that I would like to ask is in regards to the uh, the the crisis that we are having at the moment. What is the main cause of this crisis? Um, the the cost of living crisis. The cost of living crisis is due to the war in Ukraine. The cost of living crisis is due to the government and the policies that are not working and they're not changing it and they don't really care about it. To be honest. Mm. Um, I think that that needs to change until they uh, become more caring around these policies and understanding of the community issues, at grassroots issues. Like if, um, if in my case scenario, in the work that I do, I support disabled women of disabled children with English as a second language. But in our borough, without my advocacy work, there is nobody that speaks my languages for my women. So they wouldn't have their needs met if it wasn't for me. Hmm. And nobody really cares. Mm. I, I, I brought it to the attention of our local mayor around that time when, you know, Sir Robin um, Wells was uh, our mayor. And we used to t uh, go to him. But no, they're in Britain, they have to learn English. 
but they, they've got disabilities. It's because of their disabilities and because of their trauma, they can't speak in English. So are you saying you're not going to support them? Do you understand? Hmm. But this is the kind of issue that, that we don't want to be more inclusive in our, our society. We don't want to include people that have English as a second language. We don't want to include disabled people that need additional care. You know, we create the barriers to make it hard for disabled people and for the extra cost of living because you know that there's a lot of people that are not accessing. There's been research done that the South Asian community are not accessing the right amount of benefits. Now, there's institutional racism. We know that goes on. Hmm. But yet, does anybody want to tackle it? Nobody wants to tackle it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Hmm. Absolutely. You understand? Mm -hmm. So unless we do... And unless we address the inequality in care that some of our group of uh, families face and people face in our community, that's never going to change. Hmm. And we need good advocacy. We need good advocacy for people that have English as a second language, for disabled people, so that their voices are heard because their voices are, like you said, you, you know, just in your story before, that people don't want to include them. Hmm. Well, if you don't want to include them, how are you going to support them? If you don't include them, mm. mm -hmm. now, you. now, um, well, one thing that um, sort of came to my mind in this regard is uh, you see how we are obviously in 2022, and we would expect um, things to be different, but somehow we still find out that there is funding um, for disabled people that is still lacking. So, wh why would you? Um, um, thing that is still today the case? I think because we've gone backwards instead of forward for disabled people. I think there's a big um, inclusive education in the borough that I live in was really practiced well. But in the last um, 10 years, it's gone downhill. They're building more and more units. So we're going backwards in our journey for inclusivity and diversity. We aren't going forward. We aren't meeting the needs of disabled community. It's like it's a survival of the fittest, I feel. So the world wants only the fittest people to live. They don't want us weak and vulnerable people to have a life. They don't want us to give us the quality of the life that we need. But um, why I mean, what I mean by that, if you don't give us the right benefit and you don't give us the right resources, how can we have a better quality of life? Mm -hmm. If you create barriers for us at work and you don't give us equal pay, how are we um, going to be in equal ch standing um, chances with the other people? We're not. Hmm, certainly. Um, lastly, uh, for the benefit of uh, our listeners, uh, could you tell us a bit more about your organization, uh, Commission, uh, the Social yeah. Security Team, and what you believe we can do to help disabled people um, and what we, you know, you've already, I know you've mentioned already quite a lot of things, but you know, as, as a last, you know, comment, what would you like to say that we could yeah. do? Well, I think we could all join in the campaign to have a better social security benefit for all. Um, you join our social security um, um, system and commissioning group if you look at the website. We've got a, uh, we produced a plan in January where we launched it. That's on there. So um, sign up for it um, and campaign with us around all the case, you know, around the costing. Like we believe that an additional cost of benefit deaf and disabled people is really important and it needs to be produced by us 
So it works for us. If it's not produced by us, which at the moment it isn't, it's not working for us. But a lot of the disabled people and the community that I live and work with are not getting their entitlement in benefits. So they're not getting a good quality of life. They're not getting the right care and support from social security and social services either because there isn't the funding. Hmm. So we've got to all campaign together to bring about the change we want for our communities. And that includes for people with English as a second language, no resource to funding, um, prisoners and families and everybody, that we all need to be valued as equal partners. Yeah? Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Sarifa Patel, uh, for your time and answering our questions. Um, I'm sure that our listeners today and myself, uh, we have learned a lot from you. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this was Sarifa Patel a, um, from the Commission on Social Security. Um, uh, we uh, discussed with her the issues of today's society and, and uh, someone you know he she was telling us that uh, how emotionally parents come uh, to her mm-hmm. right when their children are uh, get discriminated because in the society kids are not you know uh, taught how to behave towards the uh, towards the disabled people right and this is what is you know of course not acceptable at all in the society uh, yeah I mean uh, the cost of living um, for those who are disabled is um, is it's it's a huge challenge you know people with a disability have a, approximately five hundred and eighty three pounds more cost on average each month you know because they have you know they need a lot of extra things um, because of the disabilities and families of disabled children face around 581 pounds on average each month for about a quarter of families the extra cost can go up to 1000 extra each month in fact the number of disabled people living in the poverty is 27 27% which is 8% higher than the working age non-disabled people when you look at the um, Islamic history it has a shining record of many examples of people who while having some kind of disability were included and had a prominent status in the society mm-hmm. for example Abdullah ibn Umm uh, Maktoum radiallahu anhu Alabi's helper uh, who was a blind person he was among the first to accept Islam mm-hmm. and uh, he was very much devoted to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and extremely eager to memorize the Holy Quran as well. Yeah. When the Holy Prophet saw, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, peace be upon him, uh, uh, peace be upon him, arrived in Medina, which is uh, the, the the second home of the Holy Prophet, you can say, um, uh, the neighboring um, uh, city to Mecca in Saudi Arabia, he pointed. Abdullah, may Allah be helper, to be one of the muazzins. So muazzins are those who uh, are the callers of uh, the azan or the callers of the call to prayer. Mm. And on several occasions, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, placed Abdullah in charge of Medina in his absence. Exactly. Right. 
And and this is a remarkable example of inclusion that shows how people with disabilities are looked upon and treated in Islam. Mm -hmm. What we learn from this outstanding uh, action of the Holy Prophet is that we should not belittle any disabled person or make superficial judgment because although people have certain disabilities, they might be capable of doing great deeds. They are actually capable of doing great deeds. And it is also important to delegate leadership responsibilities to disabled people when they are capable of such duties. And the Holy Prophet was a perfect example exactly. how he you know, gave uh, the leadership after him uh, to Abdullah, may Allah be his helper, hmm. you know, when he uh, was not in, in Medina, right? Exactly. Now, we are discussing, obviously, the topic of disability. And in this regard, we have our next guest caller with us on the line, which is Pat, uh, sorry, Pat uh, McCarthy. Uh, Pat, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the Drive Time Show. No, thank you. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, um, could you please introduce yourself and the work you're doing with um, um, disabled people? Okay, I'm Pat McCarthy, and I'm a trustee of Disability Network Helmslow, and I work as an advocate on personal independence payments, which is called PIP, um, supporting people on advocacy and applying for the claims. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for that. Um, could you please share what problems disabled people have to face in life, especially when trying to gain basic rights for their circumstances? And uh, what is the cause of such struggles? The majority of disabled people are unable to access um, benefits, unable to access um, the opportunity of keeping their homes warm. They may have additional um, energy costs. They have an, a number of hurdles to overcome. Mm -hmm. uh, the how has the support for disabled people changed in the past decades uh, prior to the pandemic? Because you know that the pandemic has a huge effect on every single person in uh, in, in 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 the society not just in the uk but throughout the whole world so how has the pandemic especially affected uh, the support for disabled people well during the pandemic six out of ten deaths were for, for people with disabilities in terms of what support is now available it has changed and it's meant to be more beneficial but it's really difficult to access rights and benefits to which you may be entitled because there's a 50% refusal rate for benefits. Hmm. Um, the next question that I would like to ask is um, specifically about you. What is it that uh, has made you become interested with the daily hurdles uh, disabled people face? I think there's lots of things. We're a charity run by disabled people for disabled people hmm. and have disabled members. Um, but I've had three strokes and that's made me much more aware of the difficulties that people experience who've hmm. got mobility issues or manual dexterity issues. So I, I became interested and involved, partly due to my own personal circumstance. Hmm. And, and and lastly, I would like to ask you um, your personal point of view 
uh, for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, as a society, what can we do to support the disabled people? Because the reason why we are having this this conversation or the show um, where we are uh, specifically speaking about disabled people and and the the rise of cost of living is that not everyone is aware of it uh, and and if everyone listens to our show or they are aware of the issues that disabled people have then we can tackle it as a society so um as a last question to you could you please tell us how we can support uh disabled people as a society I think being much more open about who is disabled and for people to be more visible. Uh, it's over 14 million people in the United Kingdom have a disability. It may be a small disability, it may be a severe disability, but visual um, understanding is a good thing. Hmm. In terms of what support might be given during the fuel crisis and the uh, situation of the cost of living increase, um, the government could reasonably um, provide a payment to enable people with disabilities that use high energy costs mm. um, because of medical equipment to to be able to afford them. And a lot of people with disabilities are going to be faced with a situation of heating or not eating. Mm. And the government really has to do something about that. Yeah. We, we as a society should be much more aware of those who are disadvantaged. And I think we're not. Hmm. We are not, yes. Um, if, if the government, of course, they uh, deal with the crisis, um, then of course, especially the disabled people will, you know, they will, t- they can take care of themselves. Thank you very much um, for your time, uh, Pat McCarthy. Uh, thank you for 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 your time and answering our questions. Thank you. Thank you. So we were discussing earlier about uh, the cost of living um, for those who are disabled and I quoted a, um, an incident of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as well, uh, where he appointed Abdullah ibn Um, who was uh, a disabled person, uh, as in he was blind, but still, you know, every single, uh, you know, disabled person they are capable of doing something, right? So every human being has the quality to do something in the society. And and um, as, as I said, that uh, he appointed him, uh, whilst being a blind person, to be uh, the leader after him, right? When he moved or when he used to go to other cities uh, from Medina. Now, if you look at the living crisis, is it something which is decreasing is it getting better or you know is it increasing and of course we have to look at the the the, the statistics the cost of living in the uk has been uh, increasing since the beginning of 2021 so it's already been one year and it's increasing and we see that in increasing day by day and the percentage of inflation is at its highest level since 1982 and it will continue to increase in the coming months. There are many factors that have impacted the increase in prices, such as increasing demands from customers, increase in the petrol prices, and also increase in gas and energy tariffs. So um, we have our last guest for this hour, 
Dan White, uh, who is uh, the Commission on Social Security. Um, uh, with this, uh, this uh, intro, I would like to welcome Dan White uh, to our show. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I love I love appearing on the show. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for liking it. I hope everyone else is uh, liking it as well and, and benefiting from it, especially from the guests like you, yourself as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. So what are the potential hurdles people with disabilities face? What should be oh. taken into account regarding their living circumstances? Well, the potential hurdles, that the main ones are obviously when it comes to inflation and cost of living crisis are, is firstly energy usage. Hmm. Disabled people use a predominantly large amount of equipment that draws a lot of electrical power in order to give them a better quality of life and hmm. to sustain their mental and physical health, such as power wheelchairs, ceiling track hoists, oxygen machines, through four lifts. These things are constantly on charge in order to benefit people. So that means consequently that energy bills are going up. Hmm. So I'm hearing stories, tragic stories of families now making decisions on what equipment they can switch off and do without. The problem is, once you start going down that route, you're impacting not only your mental and physical health, but your, your social life as well, because you cannot leave the house. Another impact is obviously inaccessible housing, where we live in a country where a lot of disabled people are living in houses which is not suitable for them. They don't have, uh, like I said, lifts or decent access. There's also um, the social model of disability. The country, unfortunately, still lives under the medical model, which i.e. means that it's disabled people who are the problem, when it is not. The social model of disability, the correct one, is that people are disabled by society, i.e. disabled people cannot access buildings, toilets, shops, things like that. Mm. And lastly, to stop, unfortunately, I'm still going on, is low benefits. Mm. Um, in, in, uh, in an ideal world, benefits would be increasing in line with inflation only last week the work and pensions committee uh, recommended to the government that all benefits rise in line level with inflation the benefits currently only rose by 3.1 percent and as we know inflation is peaking at 9.8 so there's a huge gap between people's income and their expenditure and by not increasing benefits you're you're putting people on the verge of a humanitarian crisis Hmm. um we also know that uh, from uh, this month, as in September, uh, £150 will be given to the cost of living as a payment. And how will this impact the disabled people? Specifically, well, 6 million people are set to receive this uh, £150 disability cost of living payment from today to help with energy bills. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's a nice amount of money to have but as we know it's not really enough because mm. earlier this year the government changed the eligibility for what was known as the warm home discount which was a one-off discount disabled people could claim off their electricity bill that in itself was 150 pound but mm. the department of business energy and industrial strategy announced that from july households that only claim personal independent payments or pip or disability allowance dla and no other mean-tested benefits will no longer be eligible for that discount. So mm. now some 290,000 disabled households are literally £150 no better off. But it doesn't go deep enough. £150, as I said, as 
inflation is peaking. And as the, the, the recent energy cap announced of 2,500 is double the energy price of last winter, there needs to be drastic mm. intervention. 150 pounds does not even cause a ripple on the pond, unfortunately. Mm, unfortunately, yeah. As a society, how can we support disabled people, you know, and to help them uh, get what they need uh, to live their life? Well, uh, as I said before, the first thing to do would be to increase increase benefits and lie with inflation. That this really needs to happen in order to allow disabled people to even play catch up with paying their, uh, their electric bills or even eating. Hmm. There needs to be total involvement from disabled people in decision making that affects every 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 area of their lives. But more importantly, people need to recognise the world of disability, understand that the stereotypes are false and that the community itself is powerful, hmm. wanting, talented, but sadly misunderstood still by politicians in the mainstream media. And we also need to support the carers, increasing hmm. their care allowance to be in line with the minimum wage. And we also really need to support young carers too. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. I mean the carers as a society we need to help each other as well um if if the carers the young the, the, you mentioned about the young carers yeah why the young carers because currently young carers get no support at all you have children as young as five years old looking after adult members of the family hmm. getting them out of bed giving them physio given the medication that technically they're not old enough to hold. Hmm. Young carers are really unsupported. They have to juggle school. They don't get any social life. I mean, they may like doing the care. They may feel responsible to it, but they're missing a lot of their young lives. And a lot of them are suffering from mental health and silence. We really need to support them because Definitely. these are children who deserve a life. Yeah. Everyone in this country, regardless of who they are, deserves to live a decent life and to be supported. Definitely, definitely. Lastly, could you tell us what projects Disability Rights UK have been up to for disabled people and how they have helped disabled people so far? Yeah, certainly. I mean, Disability Rights UK is the UK's leading organisation led by, run by and working for disabled people. Hmm. We work with other disabled people's organisations and government across the UK to hopefully influence regional and national change for better rights, benefits, quality of life and economic opportunities for disabled people the, our vision is, is just total equality across all communities and cultures because the disabled community is just the most wonderfully diverse hmm. it's, it's absolutely beautiful and brimming with talent and brimming with want and expectation but in all and in order to action against the cost of living crisis disability rights uk have formed a disability poverty campaign group along with myself and my friend Julia at Inclusion London. And we now have 30 disabled people's organisations, national charities and relevant groups such as the Food Foundation and the Trussell Trust all working together to try and end this crisis. I mean, hope we don't mind, we have, just to say we've just written in the politest but strongest terms to the new Prime Minister to give a frank overview of life for disabled people right now. We ask for urgent intervention now as this cost of living crisis threatens to become a humanitarian crisis on our very doorstep hmm. thank you thank you dan uh for for your time and answering our questions good luck with your work and i wish and pray that uh, may god almighty help you with 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 the great work that you're doing uh thank well, you 
thank you very much once again for highlighting this 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 crisis. I, I, I really appreciate it and I love coming on the radio show. So all the best to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll definitely have you on another time uh, as this is an issue that is ongoing, of course, and we'll definitely yeah. uh, request you to come again in our show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So this was uh, Dan White, um, who was speaking to us. Very um, interesting uh, discussion we had indeed. Um, the impact on those who are disability, who have a disability, is huge, and and it needs to be tackled. And we, as a society, as a nation, we need to do something on it. And the second caliph of Islam or the second caliph after the holy prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, his name is Hazrat Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, may Allah be his helper, he actually allocated for the people with special educational needs and disabilities a fixed salary from Baitul Mal. So Baitul Mal is basically the public treasury. And while his great-grandson, uh, the Umayyad Caliph, and the first Mujaddid in Islam, uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, uh, issued a decree throughout all the Islamic states saying, and he states that, write to me about every blind, disabled, and paralyzed person, or anyone who suffers from any chronic disease that prevents him from attending the prayers, or, you know, Attending the prayers means um, anyone who has any type of issue which prevents them from, let's say, walking or, or, or uh, commuting or, or coming to the mosque. That means they have some sort of disability, right? And, and as Muslims, we have been taught that, uh, you know, we should pray our congregational prayers at the mosque. So, of course, he was expecting everyone to to come to the mosque and pray. So if there was anyone who could not come, that means they had some sort of disability or a problem. And he, you know, says that write to me about every blind person, every person who had any type of disability, write to me that, you know, so that I can help them out. And this is what Islam taught us from the beginning of the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah. And after he received the required list. He, he made a, con- a census of each category. Then he used to order uh, that there should be an employee to accompany every blind person to lead and take care of him. So you know, he used to make sure that there is someone who would you know accompany, who would be always with that certain person who could help them, like the carers, of course. And then he further instructed that everyone who suffers from a chronic disease or any type of disability should have a servant to serve and take care of them. And that was all out of the cost that was given by the caliph at that time, of course. And, you know, this is a, a primary example that we find in the time of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the time of the Holy Prophet and the time after him as well. Uh, where the companions and the caliphs continued with with the things that they have learned from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, the national charity 
the the family fund is calling for more support to be given to those with a disability and this is something you know as a nationally uh, the fund is doing right and when you look at the current um, situation the UK government is giving one of support payment of 150 pounds to 6 million disabled adults and children which is of course we discussed just you know uh, five minutes ago with Dan that you know it's certainly not enough in order to receive this payment the receiver must have one of the following benefits and these are the benefits that uh, you know if they have these um, if, if, if then they, they can they can uh, they're, they're eligible to have this 150 pounds again with the increase of the uh, the cost of living uh, it's of course not enough but this is for the benefits of those who are listening and who might be uh, eligible to you know apply for this um, for example adult disability payment in Scotland armed forces independence payment attendance allowance child disability payment in Scotland uh, constant attendance allowance disability living allowance for adults disability living allowance for children personal independence payment war pension mobility supple- uh, supplement and family fund acknowledged uh, that the acknowledges that the payment being made by the government will in, in indeed help families ease the burden of bills however more will need to be done in the upcoming months and of course more needs to be done and this is certainly not enough but of course government is doing something which is uh, in our positive side and hopefully you know we will see more improvements in in our um, in, in in for the help of disabled people and especially not just disabled people we've discussed in this show not just disabled people or any people who are struggling with the cost of living with the with the inflation that you know we need to support each other especially the government need to support to uh to help those who are uh, you know less fortunate in the society to conclude the today's show we only have five minutes even before the energy price cap uplift nearly 2.3 um apologies two-thirds of families Uh, that have disabled children have said that they are struggling to pay energy bills. Nearly one-fourth have said that they are already already behind on their bills. And the rise of the cost of living has already hit many peoples who were already um, previously in a vulnerable financial situation and it is increasing day by day, and we can just pray that uh, uh, may God Almighty help all those who are going through difficulties, and may we as a society also, whenever we find out about any anyone who is disabled and struggling with with the with the cost of living, that may we help each other. And those who have listened to our show as well, you know, you can help those who are in need. The Holy Quran in chapter 18 verse 50 it states that and the book will be placed before them and thou wilt see the guilty fearful of what uh, of that which is therein and they will say oh who to us who uh, who to us what kind of a book is this it leaves 
out nothing small or great but has recorded it and they will find all that they did confronting them and thy Lord does not wrong anyone. The Holy Quran takes note of the diversity in the universe but it also stresses the useful purpose of diversity in races, in the diversity of the colors, in the diversity of the languages, the cultures and the wealth in human social order and describes these diversities as a sign of God for those who reflect and possess knowledge. But none of these distinctive attributes confer to any special privileges on human being or impose any liability or disability. Every human being in the eyes of God Almighty uh, is equal. It doesn't matter what uh, you know, what position they are, if they're healthy or not. And everyone is beloved by God Almighty. I would like to conclude with thanking our producers uh, of today's show, Faiza Saeed, uh, Ahmed, Maliha, Shehzad, um, um, uh, so, uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, Sayyida Ruhi Yaqub, and Manahil Nasir, who made this show happen, and uh, and and hopefully you have benefited from our today's show. Um, and I would also like to thank Habib Siddiq who was behind the tech. So thank you very much to all of you.